Welcome to the Blogger to Author Podcast, where we help you turn your content into a book so you can share your passion, build authority in your niche, and make a little money too. Now, here's your host, Dr. Beth Brombos. Hello, and welcome to episode 24 of the Blogger to Author Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Beth Brombos. If you've always dreamed of being a writer, you may have also dreamed of getting a specialized degree like an MFA. It's easy to feel like you need to get a bunch of certifications or degrees before you can be truly successful at what you do. That's exactly why I'm excited to feature an interview with Gabriela Pereira in today's episode. Gabriela teaches writers strategies and techniques they would learn in an MFA program without the hefty price tag. A little bit more about Gabriella. She is a writer, speaker, and entrepreneur who wants to challenge the status quo of higher education. As the founder and instigator of DIYMFA.com, her mission is to empower writers, artists, and other creatives to take an entrepreneurial approach to their professional growth. Gabriella earned her MFA in creative writing from the new school and teaches at national conferences, regional workshops, and online. She is also the host of DIY MFA Radio, a popular podcast where she interviews best-selling authors, and she's the author of the book DIY MFA, Write with Focus, Read with Purpose, Build Your Community, which was published by Writer's Digest Books in 2016. Whether you need help getting started with your book or you just need a little help or inspiration to finish, you're going to get a lot out of this interview. So listen up. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Blogger to Author podcast, Gabriella. I am so thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. And so what I'd love to start out with is to hearing a little bit about you, your book, your business, and how you got started. Awesome. Well, I am the founder and instigator of DIY MFA, which is the do-it-yourself alternative to an MFA or Master of Fine Arts in Writing. And I guess how I got started. Well, I like to say that I'm not actually the founder of DIY MFA because I didn't quite like I didn't find DIY MFA, DIY MFA found me. So the way it happened was I actually went and got a master's in writing. Back in 2008, I enrolled in an MFA program for what I like to say is the all the wrong reasons, but the reasons that most writers or most people who would like to write and be published and make careers as writers tend to enroll in MFA programs. So the reason I went was because I thought I needed this external validation, the seal of approval. I didn't really know how to go about making a career as a writer. So I did the logical thing, which was, you know, like in most fields, what you do when you want to make a career out of something is you go to school and you learn Mm -hmm. the thing. So I, that's what I did. And I had a wonderful experience. I always like to preface these stories by telling people that I didn't found DIY MFA as a response to having had a negative experience. It was nothing of the sort. Rather, I had this wonderful experience and I realized that it was something that I had the privilege to do, but not everybody has that. At the time, my husband was working at a big time New York City law firm, so we could afford for me to pay the tuition and not have to take on a ridiculous amount of debt. 
yet. We also didn't have small children at the time. So I had the luxury to take those two years off from work to go back to school and get this degree. And so I realized while I was in school that not everybody had these opportunities and had this flexibility. So I still remember the exact moment when I had this idea for DIY MFA. I was sitting in graduation and I was half expecting the, you know, we were, it was in this like little church in the West Village and we're sitting there watching the commencement speaker give their address. And, and I have expected the light to stream in through the stained glass and the skies would open and <laughs> angel choirs would sing. And then the literary gods would anoint me as a writer. And I'd finally feel like, you know, I'd made it. I, I was a writer. And of course, that is exactly not what happened. And instead, I'm sitting there in this like really uncomfortable wooden pew. And I realize I have this random thought pop in my head. And it's, well, what if I could have done this myself? And that thought kept kind of needling me and kept kind of nagging at me the whole rest of the graduation program and then after graduation. And that night I did what most normal people do if they have a blog. I wanted to figure out a problem, so I went and I blogged about it. And at the time I had this teeny tiny blog with about 12 followers, one of whom was my mother. And so I kind of expected that I'd write this blog post and it would go out into the internet and no one would ever mention it again. This idea would be lost and forgotten. And instead, what happened is the next morning, I wake up and I find something like 25 comments on this blog post. And basically, the theme of the blog post was I just graduated from an MFA program. If there was a way to do it yourself, would you do it? So that was the theme of the post. So I got all these comments, much more than my regular audience you know, readership, as it were. And I also had a bunch of emails in my inbox, people saying, Oh, my gosh, I would totally do that. What would that look like? How would it work? And so I started asking myself those questions. And since I didn't have a job awaiting me immediately after graduation, I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. I decided to do an experiment. So really, what ended up happening was that my blog became the testing like the petri dish that I tested this DIY MFA concept in. So I set a challenge to myself the following September to blog about this topic of DIY MFA, the do-it-yourself MFA, every single day for 30 days in the month of September. I kind of envisioned it as a blogger version of like a personal blogger version of NaNoWriMo or something. And mm -hmm. I figured the reason I did this experiment was because I have a background, by the way, like way back in the day in a past life, I was a psychology researcher. So I kind of like to look at things as little experiments. And so I figured by the end of that month, I would have figured out two things. First, I would have figured out whether or not this idea had any legs. Was there, did I have enough to say on the topic? By the end of 30 days, I had a feeling I'd be pretty certain as to whether I'd run out of things to say or whether I'd continue to having material to talk about. And what ended up happening was that I got to day 30 in September and realized I still had another month's worth. Like I could have continued the challenge for another month or year. In fact, it's basically continued for the last, what, five, no, seven years. So that was the first thing that I was testing in those 30 days. And then the second thing was whether there was an audience for this. And I figured that by the end of those 30 days, I would have a pretty good idea of whether there was an audience, because if there wasn't, I would probably drive my current listenership, all 12 of them, completely crazy, blogging about the exact same topic every single day for 30 days. Mm -hmm. 
And if there was an audience for this, then I would see a lot of growth in those 30 days. And that's indeed what happened. What ended up happening was I went from having those 12 followers to having about 400 by the end of the month. So basically the blog became this like testing ground to figure out this idea. And over the course of those 30 days, by writing about this concept for for 30 days in a row, I realized a bunch of things. First, I started to piece together what the curriculum of sorts would look like for this project. And then I started kind of testing different ideas, like how am I going to explain plot structure or character development or point of view? And that's where like the seeds of a lot of the signature DIY MFA philosophies and theories came from, was from the that initial experimentation. I love that story. And I think one of the take home messages that I'd like our listeners to really focus on here is that the entire time throughout this, you were listening to your audience. First, you listened to what they wanted and you saw that you wrote this blog post that really resonated with them. It got a lot of people talking. You got a lot of comments. From there, you went on to really create content to serve your audience and again use that as a testing ground for an idea that has now become a full-fledged business and also a book and we'll get to that in a moment but I think that for those of you who are listening that's something that you should take to heart that you should always be listening to your audience listen to what they need and when you have something that really resonates with them something that gets a lot of comments likes social shares that sort of thing that's something to keep note of because that's a place where you could potentially grow your blog into a business or grow your business further in the future. You know, I'd love to add to that too, because I think bloggers are especially well suited for both entrepreneurship and writing and publishing. And the reason for that is because as bloggers, we are in the thick of it. Like we are right there hearing from our readers all the time. Like that's, that's what blogging's about. Right. Whereas it, a lot of times when people start in sort of the realm of writing, like if they're writing novels, there's that distance, right. From the end user, the person who's going to be the reader pulling your book off the shelf versus like writing for agents who will then give it to publishers. And there's sort of like all these layers of gatekeepers. So I feel like bloggers are especially well-equipped for knowing how like who their readers are like their end readers are much more so I think than sort of other types of writers who kind of have all those filters between them and the people who are actually going to be experiencing the finished work absolutely I agree 100 percent um and so I alluded to the fact that you also wrote a book and it's called correct me if I'm wrong DIY MFA Yes. So I like to joke that we are very, we stick very close to the DIY MFA brand at DIY MFA. Like it's, it's almost kind of hilarious. Sometimes when people read my bios, like on shows like this or whatever, it's like the word DIY MFA shows up like 12 times because that's what we call everything. So anyway, but yes, the book is titled DIY MFA. And actually, so when I had this idea back in 2010, the originally I thought the book was the thing. I thought that like the blog, was where I was going to test the concept. And ultimately, I was going to write a book and that would be the end of it. And, it, you know, sort of tie it up in a neat little bow. 
and then move on to something else like writing fiction or whatever. But what ended up surprising me was that the order of things flipped around fairly early in the process. And I'm really glad that they did because if I had just been looking at the book as the end goal, then I think I would have missed out on a lot of other opportunities for A, creating great stuff for my readers and B, opportunities for expanding my own sort of what, where I get like the sandbox that I get to play in, right? Like if I'd only been focusing on writing a book, I never would have gotten into speaking and building courses and teaching and doing all this other entrepreneurial stuff that's kind of been in, in some ways more enriching than the book by itself. So the book itself, like the flip kind of happened early on, like I alluded, um, and it happened because as you probably know, and as most of your listeners probably know, when you're writing something that is nonfiction, like a how-to book of some sort, and that's generally what a lot of bloggers tend to be thinking about writing, right? Because as bloggers, we tend to blog about how to do something. So if you're writing a how-to book, you need what they call a platform, which basically means a readership, an audience. And these days, especially if you want to go into publishing with a traditional publisher, those audience numbers need to be relatively high. So you have to learn how to build a, a sort of a base of readership before you are even taken considered seriously by a publisher. So I knew that if I wanted to publish this book and I wanted to do it traditionally as opposed to the self-publishing model and keep in mind back in 2010, self-publishing was not anywhere near where self-publishing is now. So if I were doing this now, maybe my choices would have been different. But given that, I realized I had to build this platform. So I took a how to build your platform, how to market yourself online kind of course. And I still remember right at the beginning of the class, I think it was our first conference call with all of the students in the class and with the teacher. And we went around sort of the, you know, virtual table, as it were, introducing ourselves and what the book was that we were building a platform for. And when I when my turn came, I said, you know, I'm Gabriella, I have this idea, crazy idea for a do it yourself MFA. And, you know, I'd like to write a book about it. And then there's this pause. And the teacher then says, Gabriella, I don't think that's a book. And of course, my heart just drops into my stomach. And I'm like, Oh, God, this is a bad idea. The teacher on the first day of class is going to tell me that the book is just a bad, bad, bad idea. And of course, he turns around and says, No, it, I think it's a business model, like you're thinking too small. And so that was the moment when I realized like, DIY MFA had the potential to be much bigger than just a book that you can hold in your hand that it could be it, basically what it is now like an education company. And so that was sort of the the first little seed was planted in that class that then evolved into this into what it is now. Love that. And as a follow-up question, why did you choose traditional publishing over self-publishing? You touched on it a little bit, but I'd love to hear you expand on that. I definitely think it's a hot topic because a lot of people like the choices are going to depend on who the writer is and where they are and also what their end goals are for their sort of what what role the book plays in their business model. So um, for me, there were a lot of factors. First of all, I kind of had a publisher in mind from the get-go. I kind of knew that I really wanted Writer's Digest to publish my book. And the reason for that is that I probably own every single book that Writer's Digest has published since, uh, I don't know, whenever. Um, like the last five years, eight years. And I love the way they package their books. They do it really well. They have a very extensive audience. So I kind of knew that like, if I was going to go traditional, this was the 
the publisher I'd, I'd want. Like if I had a dream, this would be the one. Second, I also wanted to have, I wanted to work with a traditional publisher because I knew that as someone who was going to be teaching writers about the writing and publishing process, I needed to have traditional like experience being traditional. And I figured it would be better to start with that for my first book, where particularly if it's the traditional, you know, like the flagship DIY MFA book, then to start with a self-published book and then try to get a traditional book deal. So for me, it was also a strategic reason. Like I figured I could always publish, like self-publish a book down the line to have that piece be represented and to be able to speak to that side of publishing. But I knew that if I wanted to really establish my credibility, as someone who was well-versed in publishing and the publishing process and writing and all of that, starting with a traditional book deal wouldn't make a difference. Now, that said, I will be very honest. Traditional book deals will vary widely in what they entail and how much control writers have, how much writers even get paid. I mean, it can be very, very broad. Um, so, you could get a traditional book deal with a smaller publisher. Like Writer's Digest is not this gigantic big five publisher. They're a relatively small publisher, but they still have an extensive reach within the audience I wanted to hit. So I knew that for that book, that would be a really smart move. And then the other piece of it too, is that I learned, and I can share the story of how I connected with Writer's Digest as a publisher, if your readers are interested. Um, but I knew that I had a pretty good feeling from the get-go, from the very first conversations I had with the people there, that they were going to be good people to work with and that I'd be able to retain a sense of, like, I wouldn't be just sort of handing over my manuscript and they'd just do whatever they wanted with it. I had a sense that it was going to be very collaborative and collegial. And because design and sort of the, the whole branding of DIY MFA is so important to me. That was important, like partnering with a publisher who was going to be open to that. In fact, it was basically the first conversation I had with my editor involved us talking about like, okay, how open are you guys to being, you know, sticking to my brand and listening to my input on things like the design? And they were very open to that. And if you look at a physical copy of the book, it's actually ridiculously on brand. It's kind of crazy how well it it looks like it was self-published by me, but with their logo on the spine. So it's kind of amazing. Yeah. And I think you bring up a really good point for any listeners who might be considering working with a traditional publisher that you need to find the right traditional publisher for your book, for your audience, and look over those contracts with the fine tooth comb and really find a publisher who is willing to meet your vision for your book. And if you're like Gabriella and you want to really retain a lot of the creative power, you need to find a traditional publisher who will be willing to do that. I love also that you mentioned the contracts because I feel like not enough people talk about that. And I think that there's some key things that writers especially need to pay attention to, especially if you're in the blogging sphere and if you're doing something entrepreneurial around your blog and around like, and your book is sort of part of a bigger picture. One of the things you really want to think about is the non-compete clause. And that was something I was very careful about with my contract when I was looking at it. I wanted to make sure that projects I had going on on my blog, articles I wanted to write, challenges I wanted to run for my readership, 
you know, courses I wanted to develop, freebie ebooks that I wanted to put together. None of that was going to suddenly be off the table because I had signed a non-compete, like a contract with a non-compete compete clause that said I couldn't do X, Y, and Z until X number of years after the book publication. And most of these publishers, when you look at those clauses and you start going through it carefully, the thing people forget is that they're so a lot of writers are so anxious to sign on the dotted line because they're afraid they're never going to get another offer that they forget they can talk these things through. So, you know, I had a lot of conversations with my agent and my husband is a lawyer. So I was lucky enough to have him also to sort of look at a contract. But honestly, he didn't do anything that I wouldn't have, like didn't spot anything that I wouldn't have spotted myself as the sort of owner of my business and the sort of the eye, with the eye to looking strategically as to how does this serve my business. So it's really about sort of looking at the contract and then having a conversation with the publisher and saying, hey, look, I have these projects that I want to do. And guess what? They're actually going to help amplify the audience for the book. Can we carve it out? And like, it's really like most publishers are happy when writers are doing proactive things aside from the book that will help market and promote the book. That's a good thing in their eyes. Absolutely. hundred percent. So why do you think bloggers or business owners or entrepreneurs, whatever you want to label yourself as need to have a book? What's the benefit of that? You mentioned having a platform before. So if you could just go in depth about that, I'd love to hear your opinion. So I, first of all, I will say writing a book is a big a big enterprise. It is not something to be jumped into lightly. And I'm not saying this to discourage people, but I'm just saying like, if you do decide to take that leap, be aware that it's not something that you will do in a week or, you know, and there might be people out there saying, oh yeah, you can publish a book in a week. It's not going to be a very good book. I'm sorry. Um, so if you really want to do it right, be aware that it's going to involve some effort, which means that you want to think about whether this is worth the opportunity cost of all the other things you could be doing with that time. Now, that said, if you've decided that taking to, taking that leap and writing a book is a good move, there are a few reasons why I think it can help your business and help your blog grow even more. In fact, I can think of three right off the top of my head. The first is building the, the credibility, right? Like when you have a book, suddenly people take you more seriously. And I know that like this kind of li links back to that whole external validation thing and like all the wrong reasons why I went and got an MFA, like thinking that I needed this external stamp of approval. But like, realistically speaking, the minute you have a book, suddenly people sit up and take notice. I've gotten so many more podcast interviews, um, you know, speaking gigs, high profile speaking engagements, because I now have a book and I can point to it and say, hey, look, I published that. Um, and it's not like I'm doing anything drastically different now from what I was doing, say, in 2015 while I was writing the book. It's just that having this thing suddenly lends credibility. The other piece, too, is if you get a book and it's if you write a book and you publish it traditionally, there's that extra layer of approval of validation where suddenly your book has now been vetted, not just by you who've published it yourself, but by some external publisher who has partnered with you to make this book happen. So even though I think self-publishing is incredibly valuable and if you do it really well, self-published books can be as good as any traditionally published book. Um, there is that additional layer of credibility that comes from having a publisher's name attached to your book. 
that so that's the first thing credibility the second is the visibility and the fact is that these days amazon is one of the biggest search engines on the internet like seriously it's not an e-commerce website anymore it is a search engine people use amazon to look up products find out people's opinions on things like almost the way they'd use Google. So if you think of Amazon as a search engine and then you have a book on there with your name attached to it, suddenly your business and your blog and your thought leadership is going to be all that much more visible on the internet because you're basically now in a search engine that you weren't in before. So that's the second piece. And I'll give an example of visibility. A few months ago, I was giving a, a talk at a bookstore in California and suddenly this person comes up to me and she says, oh my gosh, you're the author of DIY MFA. I just bought your book last week. I had never even heard of DIY MFA, but I was walking through Barnes and Noble and I saw it stand, you know, on the shelf and the colors spoke to me. So I picked up a copy and now I'm like one of your diehard fans. I would never have reached that person if it hadn't been for having my book on the shelf at Barnes and Noble, because that person was not in the online universe that I happen to be in right now. So having the reach into book space suddenly increases your ability to find other people who will who will become diehard fans of your work. And then the third piece of it, and in my opinion, the most important part, the best reason really, in my opinion, is that when you write a book, it forces you to get your ideas in order. So like I said, in those 30 days that I started kind of hammering out what DIY MFA was about way back at the beginning, I started getting a sense for the concepts, but it took a long time to narrow down what the fundamental pillars of DIY MFA were, what are signature ideas, like the little nuggets of wisdom, as it were, that become our signature courses or concepts. It took a long time to refine all of that. And when I had to sit down and put it all in a book, it forced me to refine it even more and to find connections between these various little nuggets of information. And so when you sit down and write a book, it, it forces you to really rethink the structure of the content that you're creating. So for me, it's actually had a positive impact on the courses we've built. We're actually rebuilding one of our courses because the book was so much better than the original version of the course that now we kind of want to upgrade the course to match the book. And so having that experience of writing and revising the concepts in book form sort of helped me clarify my thinking. Absolutely love that message. And I agree with you on every one of those points. And so you've just given us three really great points for bloggers to want to get started on their book. So how do you recommend that they go about writing their book or taking those first few steps? So I, I think of everything in visuals. One of the visuals that I use is like the, the book pyramid. It's based on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The idea, this is a concept in psychology. Maslow was a psychologist who had this notion that people will meet needs that are at the bottom of their hierarchy first. So things like food, water, shelter, before they focus on things like friendship, relationships, love, and then higher up even they have things like, you know, creativity, self-fulfillment, those sort of higher order needs. So I started thinking like, okay, when we're writing a book, we need to, there's also certain needs, like the project has certain needs. So you want to start with the base of the pyramid and the most fundamental needs first, and then work your way up. And so the way the layers operate in my sort of book writing 
pyramid of needs is at the base of it, we have the voice, the narration. And as a blogger, you've already mastered that fairly well. Like if you've been blogging for at least a couple of months, you already know what your voice is and what your, uh, you know, sort of your general personality and your brand, right? So already you've got that covered which means you can move to the next next layer. And that's the the big idea, the idea worth spreading if you're gonna use like TED Talk terminology. Um, so what's the idea, the big concept that you want to share with the people reading this book? Every single book has only one big idea in it. Now, you could have lots of ideas, but they all tie together to create one big idea. And this this concept comes from a, a dear friend of mine and mentor called Stuart Horwitz, who talks about how every book, even novels, fiction, they all have one theme. They are only about one big idea. And I've often being, you know, impertinent, and I like to challenge my friends. I, I say, no, Stuart, what, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, well, I'm a face about three ideas, write with focus, read with purpose, build your community, that's three. And he's like, well, those three are all about one idea. And all of a sudden I realized like, oh yeah, they are. So think about what's the one big idea, the one thing that kind of culminate, that pulls together everything that your blog and your brand is about. That's layer two. And I will say also, I will add to that, like if you've been blogging, you probably already know what your big idea is. You just haven't quite, you may just not have put it into words or crystallized it, but you have a sense for it because otherwise you wouldn't be blogging. Like you'd be all over the place. So th then the third thing is figuring out the structure. And that's where I think most people start there. Like they start thinking, okay, what's the book going to look like? And what are the chapters? And let me do an outline. But if you don't know what your voice is and you don't know what the main idea is that you want to share, what it, you can't just create a structure if you have nothing to fill it with. But once you know those two things, you can start figuring out how you're going to organize all of those smaller concepts that make up the big idea. And the exercise that I often recommend to listeners or read to people is um, take a bunch of index cards, set a timer for like 10 minutes, and then on each index card, write a concept basically a topic that you've blogged about or that you have uh, that you're thinking of blogging about something that you want that would be part of like the conglomeration of ideas that makes up your blog. So try to like just brainstorm as quickly as you can one idea per card as fast as you can. When that timer rings, stop, set it aside. And then when you come back, start sorting those cards into buckets. So for instance, if I were doing this with DIY MFA, I might have an index card with like character development, protagonist, antagonist, secondary, you know, supporting characters, uh, plot, beginning, middle, end. Each of those might be a, a card and like this whole big mess, jumbled mess of ideas. And then when I come back, I can start putting them into buckets. So I might have like the character bucket, the voice bucket, the description bucket, the plot bucket, the how to read like a writer bucket. And eventually I like start putting all of those cards into different groups and you'll start to see a structure. Once you've got those buckets figured out, then you can start to order, like figure out which 
category of ideas goes first and then start to put it together into an outline. And the reason I love the index cards is that you can move things around too. Like I might do this and then realize, like leave it laid out on like my dining table for a day and then come back the next day or two days later and start moving cards around because maybe they've shifted from one bucket to another. So you can start like this is a way to create a fluid outline without feeling like you're suddenly shackled to this structure that you've imposed on yourself. And then at that stage, like once you've got that general structure figured out, the the fourth layer up is just figuring out and refining those concepts, those nuggets of wisdom, as it were. So this is where I would look at like, you know, if I pull out one of the cards from one of the buckets, let's say it's the, you know, read like a writer card, I might then start to ask myself, okay, what does that mean? How do, how would I explain that in a chapter or in a paragraph or whatever, and start to like refine those generalized ideas into a bit more of like what would become a narrative to go into the book. This is also where I might figure out like what little anecdotes or stories might fit into this structure. So like, oh yeah, I can tell the story about how in first grade I had a panic attack in the library and that's what turned me into a writer. So that's kind of like reading like a writer. And I put that little shorthand note on that index card. Okay. That's what's going to go there. And eventually you start to have a picture of what that book is going to look like, which brings me to the tippy top of the pyramid, which is actually writing the thing. Once you have a structure and you know what this book is going to consist of, then and only then is it time to start sitting down and really putting like hammering those words onto the page. I think a lot of writers start really early in the process where they have no direction and then they just end up spinning their wheels and writing words upon words upon words, but they actually end up having to scrap all of it because none of it hangs together. So so that's sort of my method for figuring out, like taking content that essentially you've already created, right? Because you've been blogging now about whatever this topic is. So taking that material that you already have created, but starting to refine it into what will become a book. Absolutely. And you have a guide that helps people get started with this, correct? For people who want to get started, they can go to DIYMFA.com backslash join, and that will get them, uh, they'll get a free DIYMFA starter kit that gives them kind of the basic fundamentals of DIYMFA. So it'll help them jumpstart their writing, also help them refine their reading process, and then build their community as well. Love that. And what overall advice, um, aside from all of the amazing advice you've given us already, do you have for aspiring authors? I would say that you are not an aspiring author because I always find it funny when people say, oh, yeah, I'm an aspiring author, an aspiring writer. And it's like nobody ever talks about being an aspiring plumber or being an aspiring neurosurgeon. Like, why is it that only in fields like writing or you know, creative fields that people tack on that qualifier. It's almost like we're apologizing for being writers. No, 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 no. So if you're a blogger, and I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you probably are, then you are already a writer. In fact, you are already an author because every time you blog, you press that little button that says publish. So technically you are published and therefore you are an author. So what I would say, the piece of advice I would give is 
do not apologize for being what you are, for being an author, being a writer. Just say, I'm a writer and own it. And that mindset shift, the minute you start to step into that role, that's when things will start happening for you because you're no longer kind of hanging back and qualifying like, oh, yeah, I'm just an aspiring writer. So that's what I would say. Love that message. If listeners want to learn more about you and DIY MFA, where can they find you? They can go to DIYMFA.com and they can also uh, listen to our podcast, DIY MFA Radio. We have a lot of interviews with best-selling authors and other people in the publishing industry. So it's kind of a way to get like an inside view on the creative process of amazing people like Jojo Moyes and Guy Kawasaki and Robert Crace and the list goes on and on and on. Like they're amazing authors that I've had the privilege of getting to, to interview. So for me, I find that even like interviewing them, I always learn something new. So it's great to kind of hear from the masters as it were and, uh, and learn from them. And I will link to all of that in the show notes. So Gabriella, do you have any final tips or advice you want to share with our listeners? I would just say, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Like if you're blogging, you're already writing. And that's like the biggest, the biggest hurdle. You know, when people join the DIY MFA community, one of the first things I ask them is to tell me what their biggest challenge is. And hands down, the challenge that people say over and over is finding time to write or motivating myself to write. And I find that always so bizarre because if people want to be writers or if they are writers, why is it that finding time to write is so difficult, right? Like that should be part of their natural state of being. So if you're a blogger, you're already doing that. So trust that you are already doing, like you are already miles ahead of so many people who say they want to write, but aren't writing. So, you know, give your, give yourselves a pat on the back because it's hard. It's not easy to have a blog and to be consistent and to keep, you know, coming back again and again to the computer screen or to the table, to the chair and, and putting your words on the page. So yeah, kudos. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the blogger to author podcast and for sharing your expertise. I really appreciate that, Gabriella. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. And again, thank you to Gabriella for being on the podcast and for sharing that wealth of knowledge that I know you listeners are absolutely going to get a lot out of. If you want to learn more about anything Gabriella talked about in the interview or learn where you can get in touch with her, head to the show notes at bloggertoauthor.com slash 24. Also, a reminder that if you haven't picked up your copy of the book, Blogger to Author, Turn Your Content into a Book, you can do so at bloggertoauthor.com slash Amazon. This book is the blueprint that you need to turn your blog posts or other content into a self-published book so that you can really build your authority and your credibility in your niche and help grow your blog, your business, and your platform. So head to bloggertoauthor.com slash Amazon to get your copy. I know it's going to be incredibly helpful to you. Until next time, happy writing.
Thanks for joining us for the Blogger to Author podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share the podcast with your friends and be sure to leave a review on iTunes. You can learn more about Blogger to Author and the podcast at bloggertoauthor.com. Till next time, happy writing.